You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17 is where we are going back to today. So over the past several weeks, we have been looking at um, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and their initial experience in the wilderness and what that has looked like and how God has been faithful to work and to provide for them. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 1, I want to read to you our text from several weeks ago. It says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? We've been talking over the last several weeks, like I said, about God's provision and his protection, particularly in this time period where they've come out of Egypt. They haven't quite gotten to the mountain of God yet where they're going to get the law and directions about worship as his people. Um, This whole time has been kind of a, a testing period. So over the course of several weeks, God is teaching them and preparing them for what it looks like to be provided for by God. Remember, they're coming out of Egypt where they have seen the Egyptians' way of worship. They've seen the Egyptians' ways of, of trusting in their gods for provision. They've seen the ways they've worshiped and appealed to their gods. God now is showing what it looks like to worship Yahweh, what it looks like to trust in Yahweh for his provision and for his protection. And so it starts uh, already what we've seen several weeks ago about his provision of the, the bitter water being turned to sweet, Right? Uh, but now we come into a setting where there, there is no foreseeable water. There's, there's no water on hand that they can even view. And so there's panic that sets in. Where is God in all of this? Where is God's provision in this? Is he going to come through once again? Or has he abandoned us? We talked about how this was a section of testing where it was meant for God to test the people, right? For God to test the people, are they going to trust him? Have they learned to put their faith in him for provision. But the people turn it around and make it a testing place for God, right? Like they start asking these questions about God's faithfulness and is God with us and has God uh, developed uh, ill will towards us? Is he trying to just bring us out here and kill us, right? So they turn it into a testing of God. And we really dialed in on on the, the name Rephidim and what that means, right? I told you that Moses renames it Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling and the testing of the people. But Rephidim actually means a place of rest, right? And this has really been something that I've continued to meditate on over the past several weeks. I know that 
Over the course of our church's history, there's been certain sermon series that maybe have stood out more than others and maybe have hung with you longer than others. For me, this section right here, looking at what it means to come to a place called Rephidim, a place of rest, and finding rest there when there is no water has really stuck with me because we've been emphasizing God's presence and God's provision, even when it looks like there is none, right? Like the people are questioning, where is God and where is his provision? And the whole, whole, the whole time, God's already prepared a rock. He's prepared a water source. He's going to give that to them. He's already given them bitter water turned to sweet. He's already given them manna in the wilderness. Here, once again, he's going to deliver water to them a place of rest, Rephidim, where there really feels like there shouldn't be any earthly rest. There's no water. It's not a great rest stop on a journey. And yet God calls them to a, a place of rest here. We've talked about how that rest really comes from trusting in his protection and his provision. Our summary sentence from this week, we must see the everyday challenges of life as appropriate tests from God to increase our dependency on him while resisting the temptation to test God about his own faithful goodness, since he has already proven himself sufficiently. Everyday challenges that we face in this next coming week, those challenges are appropriate tests from God to increase our dependency on him. And there's this temptation that we're going to feel, and we have to resist that temptation to test him about his own goodness and his own faithfulness towards us. The children of Israel are asking, is God with us or not? What they should be saying is, because he's with us, we can rest here. Even though there's no water, we can find rest here. We said, as far as an outline from that week, we said, trust his provision rather than testing his faithfulness. They're asking the question, will he give us water? But the real question is, will they trust him? Will they trust that they need him more than anything? We talked about assuming his protection rather than accusing his attentions. They're asking, will you abandon and kill us? But really they should be asking, will we let you sanctify us? Right? God has brought them out of slavery. He has saved them, but now he's working to sanctify them. He's working to increase their faith and trust. Will they respond the ways that they should to these tests? We talked about depending on his presence rather than doubting his involvement. They're asking the question, did he leave us? But really the question of this passage is, will they leave him when they become dissatisfied? The question that we have to ask ourselves too, are we, are we yielding to the warnings of Hebrews that challenge us not to fall away in our faith, right? Not to, to, to grow discontent with how God's working in our life and fall away from our faith, but instead to keep trusting him. This passage serves as a reminder to us that even when we may feel like we're in a desolate place in life where, where there is no water, right? Where we feel like God isn't providing for us, that he remains with us. Remember we said that they're asking, where is God in all of this? And we know that the promises already said are that the cloud of, the cloud of fire, right? That pillar of cloud that leads them by day, the pillar of fire that leads them by night, it hasn't left them. It's still there. They can still look out of their camp and see Yahweh's presence with them. The question is, will they trust him? Her application was, will we allow times of want, uncertainty, and waiting to be times when we can rest because of what we know about the Lord? Will we allow those times of, of wanting and waiting, the, untime, the times of uncertainty, will we allow those to be times of rest? 
Rephidim, a place where we can find rest, even where it feels like maybe there isn't any rest. That led us into the next section of Exodus 17 that talks about the attack that takes place from the Amalekites. We said this week that our rest is not defined by our level of comfort, but by the power of our comforter, giving us reason to find rest, even when under the greatest attacks, because we can trust that our God is always fighting for our victories, right? God gives them water. He provides for them. Um, Verse 8 says, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. We said the key lesson from this section is uh, for us to learn uh, to help separate us from Israel is to be prepared for hardship. Right? We talked about being prepared for hardship. That's half the battle. It's expecting that we are going to be given trials as believers, being in the mindset that trials will come, and then anticipating how we're going to need to respond in those trials, right? With prayer and with trust and with faithfulness. We talked about preparing for attacks when vulnerable. We looked at other passages that talk about how the Amalekites attacked when uh, the children of Israel was vulnerable. They attacked the vulnerable in their group, it was a time of, of weariness for those people. And so they, they jumped on it and tried to seize an opportunity to take down the people of Israel. We said oftentimes when, when we're in a season of weariness, that's when attacks come our way too. We have to be mindful of how the enemy works and moves and would seek to discourage us with trials and temptations. We talked about uh, uh, persevering and fighting and praying when attacked, right? We've got this idea of... Um, Moses is up on the mountain praying. Joshua is down in the valley fighting. And we talked about how it kind of pictures two aspects of our, of our fight uh, to follow Christ in the midst of, uh, of a trying and difficult world, right? That there's a, an aspect where we passively are praying and, and, and seeking God's guidance and direction and, and relying upon his power and will for our life. But then there's also this part where we're to be actively working and moving and doing in response to what we know God wants for us too, Joshua pictures that, that for us as he fights against the Amalekites. Moses pictures that, that prayerful piece where he's, he's appealing to God, appealing to God for him to work and move and to provide for the people. We talked about praising him and remembering him when we find victory, right? God challenges Moses to record these victories, to remember these victories, to increase the hope in future victories as well. As application, we talked about how God's victories over our hardships must be remembered so that we'll trust him better when the next hardship comes. We talked about God always fighting for his people by remaining at war with those who would seek to hinder our journey home. Again, this takes place at Rephidim, a place where they're supposed to rest. No water, they're under attack, and yet I think the overarching message is you can rest here. 
You can rest here. Even when things aren't going your way, if you're trusting in God, you can find rest. We had our first week back at school this week, which is always a trying week because things never go quite as planned um, the first week of school, right? And I think it was, it was great that the Lord brought me through this passage because I shared with our staff uh, during pre-planning, I said, like, I'm committed to finding rest this year, even as summer break ends, right? Summer break is when we typically think of rest for teachers. I want to find rest all school year long. And I think we find that when we trust in God's, God's care for us, right? Um, and so as different things happened this week, there was temptation to kind of let anxiety and panic and frustration and worry set in. Um, and I was like, I'm not doing that this year. Like, I'm, I'm not going to let those frustrations come um, the first week of school. The first week of school is going to be restful for me. Um, it's typically not. It's going to be restful because I trust that God's working and moving and God knows the things that he's bringing my way this week. I want the same thing for you. I want you to see that rest can happen all the time in your life, not just on the weekends, not just during summer breaks, not just on vacation times. You can truly find rest trusting in the Lord's provision for you. Exodus chapter 18, we talked about uh, being tried to testify. Sarah referenced this passage several times in her, in her presentation this morning. It's the section where Moses reunites with his family, particularly with Jethro. Um, he comes in contact with Jethro, and we talked about the communication that they have uh, as they come together and greet one another, the small talk that takes place that very quickly turns to proclamation about God's provision, right? We said when we pass the spiritual tests, we encounter through trials we experience, it serves as a means of growth and encouragement, not only for our own faith, but for the faith of onlookers around us as well. It gives deeper meaning to the trials that we face, right? Like we can all maybe get behind the idea that trials are given to us to increase our faith and trust in God. But, but there's even more significance there when we realize that God gives us trials to help increase the faith of others too. Because it's others who are oftentimes looking at our life and looking how we respond to our trials, right? And they're, they're, they're either encouraged or discouraged maybe in their own faith based how on we respond to it. Moses starts to share with Jethro what the Lord has been doing, how he has been taking care of them. It says in verse 8, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. It's the idea of gospel witness that we're to testify and share about what God has done for us to all the earth. It's the mission of God's people. We talked about listening for ways that God is working in other people's trials because trials are tools to make God's power known. And so we listen for the ways that God's working in the lives of others to encourage our own faith. We talked about sharing the ways that God's working in our own trials to let the ways that God works in our life become the tales that we tell to other people, right? That this is what God's been doing. I told you that I'm far more prone to mention prayer requests as a form of complaining, like here's the trial that I'm going through. Feel sorry for me, pray for me. And I'm not great sometimes at following up and telling the same people, this is what God did to deliver me from that. This is what God did to provide for me. 
We want to we see that we've got an opportunity that God gives us talking points to share with others as he works and moves in our trials. That's what he did for Moses and the people of Israel. Moses says, this is what God's been doing for us. Jethro, listen, you won't believe the faithfulness of God. We talked about believing and rejoicing over God's work in those trials too. Jethro says that he's convinced now that the God of Israel, Yahweh, is the one true God. He says in verse 11, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. He says, I'm convinced your God is greater than all the gods. Why? Because he works good in all things. That's what sets our God apart. He works good in all things. We talked about seeking to rest in your latest trial, believing that how you navigate that trial may lead to a state of rest for someone else. How you respond to your trial can increase the faith of someone else. We talked about sharing your latest deliverances so that your experiences with God become a testimony to the people around you. Be faithful to share how God is being good to you as a means of encouragement to others. At the end of Exodus 18, we talked about uh, what we called shared ministry, right? It's the, it's the encouragement that Jethro gave to Moses when he looked around and saw how busy Moses was. Remember, we talked about how Moses was, uh, from the start of the day to the end of the day, he was meeting with the people, trying to give them explanation for how to live out the commands of God, right? So he was serving as a judge, a mediator, a, a prophet, a priest, a king. He was doing all these roles, trying to help the people with daily guidance. And Jethro shows up and he says, you're going to wear yourself out. Like, you need help doing this. I mean, he talks about delegating it to others, capable individuals, who can sit with Moses and can take some of this burden off of him. We talked about the delegation of ministry protects the individuals doing ministry. It includes more people who are capable of ministry, and it ensures the ongoing well-being of those serving and being served in ministry. Jethro wasn't just concerned about Moses, but he was concerned about him, right? He says, you're going to wear yourself out. You're not going to be able to keep up this pace. But he was also concerned about the people who needed Moses because he says, they're going to they're gonna get worn out waiting on you. And they're going to be frustrated with you. And there's not going to be peace amongst the people. He says, you've got to fix this by delegating some responsibility. We talked about how delegation is good, how it's needed. Um, it helps the individual who feels like they're supposed to do everything. It helps the people who want to do something who haven't been given anything yet. Right? And it helps those people who need people to minister to them, and maybe there's a lack of people to go around at the time. Delegation's good within the church. It's good within the workplace. We talked about why people are hesitant to delegate, but we really talked about how, what people should be in order to be a candidate for delegation. Right? Like we talked about being the type of people within the church that, that step up and show responsibility, show proven character, that can be the people that can have things delegated to them. As our church grows... Um, as we add more people to our, our, our family here, more needs arise, right? More ministry opportunities are created, and we want to be faithful as leadership to keep delegating responsibilities to others so that, one, we don't wear ourselves out, but, two, we're able to empower people who are gifted and equipped by God to carry out the work of the ministry. It's what we're supposed to do as leadership, right? We're called to, to train up the church to do the work of the ministry. Moses and Jethro in their dialogue here gives us a good picture of that. Sharing the ministry that God's given you. 
being willing to train others to do things that you're doing, to be able to share what you're doing by teaching them and equipping them and empowering them. But also preparing to be someone to do ministry for God, right? To be a candidate for delegation, to be an example for delegation. Because as this delegation happens, we're told that the people did what they were supposed to do. As, as Moses gives some responsibility away, it says that those people did what they should have done. They handled the things that they could. They removed the pressure from Moses. And only the things that they really needed his help with did they bring to him. It's a beautiful picture of delegation that's given to us here and how the church in the New Testament can thrive. Right? We talked about how in the book of Acts, as the apostles are trying to minister to the people, they need help. Right? And we see the deacons that start to pop up to help the, the elders in those churches. It's a good thing, and it allows the church to thrive. The last sermon we looked at last week from Exodus 19, 1 through 6, talks about the obedience of the redeemed. We're at the foot of the mountain of God now. It says they, verse 2, set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. And what's the discussion that takes place there? God says, you will tell this to the house of Jacob. Tell the people of Israel, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God says, what I've done in past history is the basis for why I expect you to be obedient to me today. He talks about his demonstrations of power, provision, and promise keeping, and how it's meant to generate a response of loving, trusting obedience to him. Remember, we talked about order of operations last week. Israel doesn't become God's people by being obedient to him. He's already made them his people. He already rescued them out of Egypt. He already set them free from slavery. Their good works don't make them right before this God. Same, same way for our salvation too, right? We're set free from, from our bondage and slavery to sin before we ever can do anything good for him, right? He calls us to be obedient after salvation. He calls us to follow him after he has saved us. It's what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 talks about, right? Like none of us are redeemed by our good works so that none of us can boast, right? It's all by God's grace that we can be his people, he calls his people to obedience because of what he's done for them. The question is, will the people of Israel respond to all they've seen with faith and obedience? The gospel invitation to come and follow me. We talked about obeying God because of his power, provision, and promises. He says, I've set you free from your enemies. I've worked in your trials. I carried you on the eagle's wings. I've kept my promises to you. Will you follow me? We talked about obeying God to serve him and to draw others to him. He calls them to a, a lifestyle of separation, to be holy. Why? To draw other people to him. Because you're going to be my special people. And by being my special people, others are going to want to come to be a part of that. Application-wise, we said the motivation for obeying God is valuing what he's already done for me and longing for what he promises to still do. The difference the gospel makes to our communal life is meant to serve missional purposes. Hopefully you've seen that theme over the last several weeks, God working and moving in our life to give us rest so that we can tell other people about how he's worked and moved in our life to give us rest, which will draw other people to him. That's the message we're seeing as God brings his people through the wilderness and through his mountain, uh, to his mountain to give them 
further instruction, which we'll get into next week. But let's look at three things that I want you to remember, three things that you wanna, we want to do in response to this before we take the Lord's Supper. What should I remember from the past several weeks? Number one, desolate times are opportunities to grow our trust in Him, while times of oasis are reminders to us that He remains good and in control. We experience both, right? Like, just like the children of Israel. There's times where they're in places where there is no water and they need it. There's other times when he brings them to places of oasis where there's so much water, they don't know what to do with it. Both serve purposes in our life. Those desolate times remind us to trust him. Those oasis times remind us that we can trust him, that he is good, that he is in control. Number two, your state of rest is determined by your level of trust in the comforter and not the level of comfort you are presently experiencing. Your state of rest is determined by your level of trust in the comforter and not the level of comfort you are presently experiencing. That's a different mindset. When we trust God, doesn't matter what's happening around us, we can be at rest. Doesn't doesn't matter what's going on around us in our circumstances, we can be at rest because we trust him who is our comforter. Number three, God calls us into active ministry that involves trusting him, obeying him, serving others for him, and equipping others to do the same. God calls us into active ministry that involves trusting him, obeying him, serving others for him, and equipping others to do the same. We're on mission for him using what he's doing in our life, communicating that to others, serving others with how he's been good to us, equipping others to do the same thing. It's what Jethro calls Moses to do, to delegate to others, to include them in that work of ministry. What should we do in response to remembering these things? What should we do? Number one, be better at praising God to people for what he is doing in your trials than complaining about God to people because of your trials. This is one that I've really got to learn and I've really got to seek to apply myself. I'm great at complaining about God to people because of my trials. And I I disguise it as prayer requests, but I'm great at bringing attention to the trials that I'm in and woe is me for having to go through it. I I want to be much better at being the type of person who praises God for what he does in my trials, how he rescues me in them, how he does good to me in them. I want to be a proclaimer of his goodness to others. Number two, quit living for the restful moments of life, the weekends, the summers, et cetera, and start relying on him in every moment as an act of rest. There were times that things happened this week, and and, and I think people that I was talking to expected me to like get get like aroused by it, like frustrated by it, or or to to kind of freak out about it. And I just kept with that same mantra. I said, Man, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, like, I'm at rest with this. It's okay. Um, it's going to be fine. I mean, there, there's teachers in here that, 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 that had challenging weeks this week, too. There's teachers in here that um, are part of my team that, that I even kept things from them so they wouldn't feel unrest about some of it. Because I'm at rest with it. And God's going to work and move, and God's going to do what he wants to do. And we can be at rest We don't have to wait for the restful moments. We can be at rest because of the comforter that takes care of us. Number three, assess your ministry activity. Are you doing something? Are you investing in someone? And are you able to give something to someone? 
Think back on those lessons we learned from Jethro. We ought to all be involved in some type of ministry, some way of serving others. We ought to be investing in others to do the same thing, investing in people that we can delegate to, and then finding people to delegate some of those things to so that we can further the ministry that God calls us to. I'm excited about the the deacons that have recently been added to our leadership team. I'm excited about the the small groups that are starting uh, this month and and having new small group leaders that haven't previously led small groups. That's an act of us as leadership, trying to delegate and trying to equip others to carry out this ministry so that we don't get exhausted, so that we don't give up, because we've got people that are capable of doing some of these things, right? And we want to make sure that you as a people are taken care of as we continue to grow. We call all of you to kind of think through and assess how can you continue to grow and, and take on more within this church as well. Let me pray for us. God, we, we thank you for these lessons that you've been teaching us over the, um, the past several weeks. Lord, we're grateful for the rest that you do give us as the great comforter. Lord, help us to be reminded this week as we find ourselves at times maybe feeling like we're going through a wilderness experience where there is no food, there is no water, there is no protection. And when we're tempted to look around and say, where are you in all this, God? Why have you left me? God, I pray that we would see the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Lord, I, help, I pray that you would help us to see that, that you have never left us, that you will never forsake us. Help us to see that you're always working and moving for good purposes in our trials. Lord, help us to take the attention off of ourselves and how we feel about our trials and instead put our focus on you so that when the time comes, we can testify of your goodness to others. Lord, I pray that you would increase ministry opportunities within our church as we seek to serve one another. Lord, as we get started this this new school year, which brings new small groups and, and new kids ministries and youth ministries, Lord, I pray that as we enlist new helpers to come alongside those that have already been serving, Lord, I pray that these individuals would respond well to the delegation, to be faithful individuals, to carry out the work of the ministry so that the people of this church are cared for properly. Lord, I pray that as our people experience new trials and challenges, that they would experience love and care from a variety of directions because you're raising people up in this church to serve. Teach us these things as you've already been teaching us, Lord. Help us to be faithful to carry out these things, to do these things well. Lord, help us to be proclaimers of your goodness this week. Help us to find rest and comfort in you this week. Help us to share what you are doing in our life this week with those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.